Okay, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, this class. Thank you for the chance to open your word and to, to learn more about you. And uh, I ask that you reveal yourself to us this morning, Father, that we hear from you and that we take steps towards obedience and trust in you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Good morning. Uh, we started this series last week on doctrine and, um, and on the things of, about really who God is. And this quote kind of let us off. A.W. Tozer, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason that, that we're doing this class, and to kind of give you an overview for, for this year, what our goal is, is we're going to spend a few months walking through doctrine, kind of who God is. Then we're going to take, take a, a few weeks or a few months to walk through the Word and the history of the Word and how to study the Word. And then we're going to take a few months to walk through what it means to actually follow Jesus in our daily lives. And so our hope is that over this entire year, we get a picture of who God is, how we can know Him in His Word, and how we can follow Him day to day. That, that's the goal for this year. So this first class, this first section is just hugely important because what comes to our mind when we think about God is everything. And, and I would argue um, that many times in the church, our view of God, our knowledge of God is not adequate. And so our hope is during this series is that we really begin to see, learn and search and know who he is. Psalm 119 uh, says this, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. It's a beautiful picture. But if we don't know what these things are or really know who God is, then what are we truly meditating on? Uh, this week, you ever have one of those moments when you start thinking about the future and you kind of panic, right? It's like, oh, my goodness. And then our first point today, I'll get to a minute, is God is eternal. And I'm reminded I'm a breath, right? My life is a breath. But my God, he's the beginning and the end. And so when I, when I meditate on that, I can trust him deeper and I can walk in his ways more correctly. So last week we looked at these kind of um, five attributes. The first, that God is real. Because God is real. Scripture testifies that, creation testifies to that, 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 God, that God is real. That, but also, God is knowable. He's not just this great creator in heaven, but he's also knowable. Which is, when you think about that, when you, when you get to actually kind of revel in that, it is just mind-blowing that our God is not just real, He's also knowable, and he desires to know you, desires to know me. We're used to a world where celebrity has no time for anybody, right? Well, God is the greatest being that's ever existed, and he is knowable. He's also a creator. He's not just creator. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need us, but yet he chooses to know us and to use us. And last, God is unchangeable in an ever-changing world. And me, being an ever-changing, up-and-down, unfaithful person, our God 
is unchangeable. And that's good news, isn't it? That's something that's worthy for us to meditate on, that God is unchangeable. Today, we're going to look at seven more attributes of God. But really, those are kind of broken down kind of into two things about God, the presence of God and the mind of God we're going to look at. And I was thinking about this this week and and doing this, and it can sometimes feel academic. It can feel repetitive. You're learning these things about God. And I started thinking about uh, Tracy, uh, my wife, in case you don't know. Um, and we've been married uh, for over 10 years now. We celebrate 10 years in July. And when I married Tracy, I knew her, obviously. Uh, I loved her, obviously. Um, and I always tell her this, tell everybody this, uh, marrying Tracy was the greatest decision I've ever made in my entire life. Um, love of my life. But here's what I found as I've been married to Tracy for 10 years. I'm learning more about her. When I married Tracy, I did not understand the level of a servant's heart that she had. I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't get how kind and patient Tracy could be. Because when you're, when, you, when you're walking with someone and you're married to them, you see them in the good and the bad, right? And Tracy's not perfect, but I see how servant-hearted she is, how kind she is, how funny she is. Because I've grown in my knowledge of her. And two things have happened as my knowledge about her has grown. My affections for her have grown. I love her more now than I did 10 years ago. And two, my trust for her has grown. Because I know about more about her and her character. And listen, my wife is great, but she pales in comparison to our God, who is real, who is knowable, who is creator, self-sufficient, unchanging. And, and so my hope is, even like in our relationships, as we learn more about someone and we admire their qualities in the same way, we learn more about our creator, savior, God. And as we do that, it leads to two things, deeper affection and deeper trust. Because we see he's worthy of our affection and he's worthy of our trust. So that's my prayer for us as we look at these seven new attributes of God. So our first one. God is eternal. He's eternal. This is such good news for us. Everything expires, doesn't it? Everything expires, but not God. He has no beginning. He has no end. Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation 1.8, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who, I messed up there, and who was and who is to come. Ephesians 1.4, he was working before the foundation of the world. Because God is eternal, his view of time is radically different than ours. For example, a thousand years are in his sight, but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Therefore, all of past history is to God as if it just happened. We can't fully understand how God and time work together. Taken together, these perspectives let us know that God views the whole span of history as vividly as he would if there were a brief event that had just happened. But he also views a brief event as if it were going on forever. God sees and he knows all events. He knows the past, the present, the future. Listen, 
with equal vividness. Although he has no succession of movements, he still sees the progression of events at different points in time. And as the one who created the rules over time, God uses time for his own purposes. Listen, God's nature, God's eternal nature, should create two responses. It should make us feel very small. Right? When we read text in the Bible like our life is a mist, right? That should make us feel appropriately small in light of God. But also, it should lead us to be very, very comforted. God is surprised by nothing. Let me say that again to us. Because God is eternal. God is surprised by nothing. Think about your week this week. And the things that came at you, the things that led your, your stress to go up, your anxiety to go up. Your, your Father in heaven was not surprised by those things. This morning, I woke up stressed about a plethora of things that y'all don't want to hear about. You probably do, but I'm not going to tell you. A plethora of things. Um, but then I was looking over this this morning. God is eternal. He's before all, after all, above all. What does it say? Whom shall we fear? Right? Uh, think about the mess of the past 18 months with the virus and the pandemic and the dissension. God was surprised by nothing. You know, we're told that our life is just a breath, right? We probably shouldn't obsess and worry over a breath. Our focus, our attention should be on the eternal God. But just as God is unlimited when it comes to time, he's also unlimited with regards to space. Quick side note, on the back of your little note sheet, there's these additional resources. And most of our content for this series is coming from that Wayne Grudem book, Christian Beliefs. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a huge book. It's a great book for y'all to pick up as we walk through this stuff that really help us further study on who God is. That God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. He does not have size or spatial dimensions. These next ones, God is omnipresent, God is spirit, God is invisible. They just trip my kids up all the time. Hayes is like, well, I can't see God. Well, how big is God actually? And so that they, they can't fully understand this. He doesn't have size or spatial dimensions, yet he is present in every point of space with his whole being. And as your mind tries to kind of think about that, it kind of stumps you, doesn't it? Well, that's good. Because our God should not be a God that we can put in a box and figure out, Correct. He should be bigger than our minds can truly comprehend. Jeremiah 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend the hold to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now, God is everywhere. 
he is present everywhere. Now, although he's present everywhere, he is present and acts in different ways in different places. Often, God is present to bless, as is described in Psalm 1611. In your presence, in your pre- one of my favorite psalms, in your presence there is fullness of joy. There's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, other times, other places, like hell, for example, God is present not to show any blessing, but only to punish and thereby manifest his justice. And sometimes God is present neither to punish nor bless, but instead to keep the universe existing and functioning the way he intended it to. In Christ, he holds all things together, it says in Colossians. Christ is continually upholding the universe by the word of his power, it says in Hebrews. Once again, um, we live in a lonely, lonely, isolating world. Even in a social media where everybody's kind of known on some level kind of world, it can still feel isolating and we can feel alone. But knowing that God is knowable and that God is present everywhere are two great sources of comfort. Hear this, friends. We are never alone. We are never alone. Many times I felt this when um, you've been, you've messed up, right? You've blown it. Uh, You're embarrassed. You've been caught in your sin. And people kind of like might give you a stiff arm in their own sin, right? Our God never gives that stiff arm. Through trust and faith in him, he is always there for us. But also, hear this, we cannot hide from this God. We cannot hide from this God. Let me say it one more time. We cannot hide from this God. You might have others fooled. God is not fooled. He knows everything. He sees everything and he's everywhere. If we do this thing where we spend so much time trying to hide our sins from each other, that we, we falsely believe that God does not see all of our mess. God sees all of our mess. And this is the beauty, we'll get this later on, that, that God is also merciful. That God can see my mind, right? Can see my worry, my lack of trust, my profane thoughts sometimes. But yet God in his mercy and seeing me loves me, died for me. That is good news for us. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. But God is also spirit. John 4, 24, God is spirit. God exists in such a way that his being is not made of any matter. So we're getting really confusing here for a moment. He has no parts, no size, no dimensions. He is unable to perceive, be perceived by our bodily senses. He is nothing like anything else in creation. Yet God has made us somewhat like him in his spiritual nature. We're made in his image. He has gifted us with spirits, with souls, with this undescribable thing we have, a spirit to worship him. Romans 8, 16, as one spirit with God, his Holy Spirit within us bears witness to our status as his adopted children. This mysterious thing that God is spirit. Now, because God is spirit, God is also invisible. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God. 
no one will ever be able to see God's total essence or all of his spiritual being. Once again, this just stumps Hayes altogether. We'll read the Bible, we'll pray, and he's like, Dad, why can I not see God? And he doesn't, doesn't get this at all. But we, here we see in the Bible a few times, we see this outward manifestation of God. Isaiah says he saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. Jacob said he saw God face to face in Genesis 32. In these situations, God took on a visible form to show himself to his people. But even greater than this, Jesus Christ is the much greater visible manifestation of God. John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So there is this sense that this is, the, this is the miracle of the incarnation. That we do have a person who was God, that lived on this earth, earth, that lived a perfect life, right? So we try to think about who God is and try to have somewhat of a, a visible image of him. That image must be Jesus, the God-man, right? So we do have this picture to look to, but the issue for us is that many times, how do I say this? I'm going to say this in love. We let culture dictate who Christ is over the word of God as who Christ is. We let the sermon of our culture be a greater sermon than the Sermon on the Mount. Does that make sense? We don't live in a culture of blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't live in a culture of blessed are the meek. We don't live in a culture of love your enemies and bless your enemies. That is the visible God in the flesh. So God is invisible. We, we cannot comprehend or fully see the spirit of God. But God did put on flesh. I have this thing in my life and when I study the word and when a lot of things in this world are not black and white. Where did you go to college? How many kids did you have? Did you buy this house? Did you do this? Those aren't black and white things. There's some wisdom here. But, but hear this. I like to gravitate where I can to where things are crystal clear. And hear this. It's crystal clear who God is through the person of Jesus. So when we're not sure, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. He's the visible representation of God. He is God. But God is also omniscient. If we go now to the mind of God, 1 John 3.20, God knows everything. This, I think, as I study these, these attributes, this might be the one that leads me to the greatest admiration, worship, and like kind of jaw drop at who God is. Because um, the way I'm wired, I love a plan. Like I love a plan. I love to think about a plan. I love to kind of like write the plan down. I love to see a plan like come to fruition. I, I love those things. And then I think about the mind and the plans of God. And, and that is incredible. Listen to this. In, in one simple and eternal act, he fully knows himself and all actual and possible things. He knows all things that exist 
and all that happens. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he sees, he knows, and here's the thing. This is the thing about hiding our stuff. We're going to give account. You might have cleared your browsing history, but you've got to give an account. You've got to give an account. Since he fully knows himself, we said that in 1 Corinthians 2, he fully knows all things that he could have done but did not do, and all things that he might have created but did not create. This mind of God is mind-blowing. God is always, at all times, fully aware of everything. I'm aware of my frailty when I go to a beach with my kids. And I'm aware of nothing except, are they dead? Are they dead? Are they dead? You're just worried that they floated away forever because I am so dadgum finite. My mind is so finite. But our God's mind, our Savior, is infinite. His knowledge never changes or grows. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing is hidden from Him. For all of eternity, God has known all things that would happen. Does that not lead us to want to just worship Him? Does that make sense? Maybe I'm just weird. I don't know. God's mind, His omniscience leads me to deep worship. Listen, we love the great thinkers, don't we? When someone creates a new product, we're just so amazed, right? We celebrate great thinkers, great planners in our world. We study the great generals throughout history who have planned and fought through wars. We do all those things, and that is good and that is right. But those are the shadows, right? It pales in comparison to God and His mind that knows everything. As we look further at this mind of God, we see this. God is not only all-knowing where he knows everything, but God is also all-wise. This means that he chooses the best possible goals and the best possible means to meet those goals. Romans 16, Paul says this, to the only wise God. Job 12, with God our wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. In his wisdom, he created all things. And it also shows up in his plans for those who love him. Romans 8, 28, right? God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's an all-knowing and all-wise God that could only, only an all-knowing and all-wise God could do that. Here's how we know this. You and your kids, if you have kids in this room, and you love your kids, I I, I hope. If you don't, just don't tell anybody. Um, You have plans for your kids, right? But in your wisdom, in your planning, in your mind, you cannot work all things together, can you? And we'd love to, don't we? When our kids suffer, it hurts us. But hear this. We are not God. We do not have the mind in the wisdom of God. Now, we can partially walk in God's wisdom. We can receive God's wisdom, godly wisdom, the character quality found in living a life pleasing to Him. What is the beginning of wisdom? It's fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's, it's really worship of this God that we're talking about, because the reason that's so important, because it takes us from the center of everything, right? 
takes the finite mind away from the center and puts the all-knowing mind at the center. That's what fear of the Lord does. It puts it in its proper place. Now, this, this godly wisdom, we see this in Psalm nineteen seven. The testament of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Hear this. We're the simple. Sorry, guys. We're the simple, but God can make us wise. Now, we're never going to fully share in God's wisdom because his ways, his mind, his judgments, they're unsearchable. Sometimes we're going to understand his plans and sometimes we're not. It's just the way it is. There are things in this world that happen that I cannot explain to you what God's plans are in those. But here's what I know. God is wise. God is good. God is all-knowing. So when I don't know the answer, my response is childlike faith in the one who does. But I think many times we think, if we're, we wouldn't say this out loud, but in our heart of hearts, that our minds, our wisdom, our plans are superior and God's plans must serve ours. Because we don't fully know, and I will say this too, and trust in who God is. We lean on our own understanding, right? Proverbs 3. We lean on our own understanding, which is why this last one today is so important. God is truthful. Jeremiah 10.10. The Lord is the true God. Hear this. He is the standard of all truth. God is truth. And we can count on him to be faithful. Please write that down. Don't just write it down. Write it on your heart. Because I'm trying to write on my heart right now. We can count on him to be faithful to what he says. And here's, I think, the key point for us today. The essence of true faith is taking God at his word. The essence of true faith is taking God at his word. It's the child hearing their father promise something and believing their father will never let them down. So God reveals through his word that he is omnipresent. There is nowhere that we can go that he's not there. Our response is to take him at his word. And this is the challenge for us in general as we walk through this series. As we're going to go to God's word to see how God has revealed himself to us, right? Our, our response is not to debate these things and not just to know these things. It's important to know them, but if there is not knowledge, then with trust, all that happens, we become puffed up. We must take God at his word. Do we trust the word of God as he has revealed himself? Do we really believe that he is really eternal or omnipresent or omniscient or wise? It starts with hearing. So that's what uh, Paul says, bless the feet of those who share the good news, right? And it starts through hearing who God is. But if that hearing is not transferred to faith and action, here's what trust looks like, is you do what you're called to do in response to who God is. That's what faith actually is. It's not just knowing. It's, it leads to actually faith through action in our lives, faith through belief. Here's what trusting God in his word, I think, looks like today through what we've learned. If God is eternal, right, then I cannot live in panic over the temporal. I'm not saying there's not struggles. 
I'm not saying there's not tears. I'm not saying there's not pushing through hard times. I'm talking about panic and over this. Just so you know, this is a preacher trick. Most times when you teach and preach, you're really just preaching to yourself, right? You're preaching to yourself. And I have to preach to myself. God is eternal, so I can't freak out over the temporal. Second, if God is omnipresent, my sin is not hidden from him. My sin is not hidden from him. There's good news to this and I guess bad news, I don't know. The, the convicting news, that's how I say it, convicting news is that God sees you. God sees you. The good news is God sees you. And His mercy is inviting you through His kindness to repentance. So that's not good news, that's great news, isn't it? That He sees the darkest parts of our minds and our souls, and yet He still pursues. I can't fathom that kind of God. If my kids get out of bed three times, I'm done. But our God, He just just keep pursuing me and spit on this. If God is omniscient and wise, then I should trust him over myself, golly, and the other voices in the world. If God is omniscient, he knows everything, and he's wise, and he's truthful, then his voice has to be the loudest, first, most important voice in the room. The other voices almost don't matter. Now, other voices... This is definitely true, and it happens today as we gather as the family of God. Other voices point us, hopefully, to this all-knowing, all-wise God, right? That's the purpose of us doing life together. That's Hebrews, right? We should not neglect meeting together because we should, as the family of God, keep pointing each other to our all-knowing, all-wise Father in heaven. But too many times we get okay with just talking about lesser things, or even worse, submitting and repeating the lies of the enemy as opposed to like pushing us towards an all-knowing, all-wise God. Does that make sense? Or is that just me? So here's what trust is. Trust is hearing and obeying. It's hearing and it's obeying. So we've heard about who God is, right? And we're going to now move to discussion at our tables for a few minutes because I, I don't want us just to hear things uh, in this series I want us to actually kind of walk through and process how we're going to, what we're learning today, and how we might obey this. And so, when we're at our tables, we got three questions. But here's my goal, is for you to kind of discuss what's jumping out at you, where God is convicting or revealing himself to you, and then second, how are you going to respond? How are you going to hear, and how are you going to obey? I'm going to pray for us and we'll get our tables. Uh, dear Lord, we love you. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of the Bible. That yet you're all-knowing, you show us mercy. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.